and the medic gets out and says, oh my God. The following is brought to you by Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Michael Bolick, and Will Harris. Mother of, of the Lord, welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young. Oh, man. I had a whole episode today I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about the post-Trump media world and how we saw the final fruit be born from it uh, during the... During the debate, but good, good God, did uh, I read the news today. Oh, boy. Donald Trump, the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, has tested positive for the COVID-19 virus. He is now quarantining. Everything is canceled. Uh, Mike Pence has tested negative. Joe Biden has tested negative, at least according to uh, reports as I record this at 9.39 a.m. Pacific time. The carrier for Trump was Hope Hicks, his former aide that uh, then left the White House and now is back for the re-election campaign. She was on Marine One and gave... Trump and his wife, Melania, the virus. She apparently was in contact with a host of other GOP figures. Rona McDaniel, Mitt Romney's niece, the head of the Republican Party, has also tested positive. Obviously, this leaves us with a host of questions for which I do not have answers. Up to and including, will the president live? I I don't want to be morbid here. I honestly don't. And I am not a cynical person, despite the fact that some people find my real politic breakdown of these mechanics to be cold at times. But it is something that you do need to seriously think about, considering the fact that Donald Trump is of an advanced age. We're going to hear from a couple people throughout the show today. The first is my friend Brian Brushwood. Uh, I'm having him on because not only is he a very smart and caring person, he is my co-host on the Night Attack Comedy Podcast, but also because 14 days ago, he got COVID. He is going to share his journey, what he went through, the physical and psychological toll that it took. We are going to talk to Andrew Heaton, who is uh, uh, going to help us break down the the more political side of this and the more cultural side of this. We also have a bit of a fun announcement at the end of that particular interview, uh, one in which I was not expecting to happen with such serious subject matter. This had been long planned, but uh, stay tuned to the end of that one, and hopefully you will enjoy what you hear. But first, let's just break down what's possible. What we don't know right now is anything. We don't know how this affects the race. We don't know whether or not Donald Trump will survive. We don't know at what point during this journey, if let's say Donald Trump is like Boris Johnson and has to go to the hospital, whether or not somebody else, namely Mike Pence, will be deputized or sworn in rather as president of the United States of America. We have 30 days until an election. Will this be Trump-Pence on the ballot, but effectively Pence-Trump question mark by election day? Will Donald Trump ever campaign again? And if we're going to get even more granular... How does this affect ancillary issues like the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett in the Senate? 
Joe Biden has tested negative. So at the very least, he is not somebody that is also going to have to quarantine, although he's had more practice hanging around in his house. But how does he campaign now? Does he go after Donald Trump? Does he try to antagonize the fact that Donald Trump has, according to the Democratic Party, had a very poor record in handling this? How does Biden's comments of just inject bleach in your arm stand up now that the man has the virus? And let's go even further. How does the nation view this? Let's remember March, that fateful day in March, when Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz contracted COVID or was revealed to have COVID, and the NBA stopped. Shortly after that, Tom Hanks was revealed to have COVID. And all of a sudden, America looked at this disease just a little bit different. It led to the closing down of the economy and set us on this bizarre alternate reality that we've been living in throughout the summer and now into the fall. What does the president of the United States getting it do? Do we take it more seriously? Do we take it less seriously? Where's the schadenfreude? Do we have pity for President Trump? Do we have scorn? Do we view him as somebody that deserves it? I've certainly seen this kaleidoscope of emotion play out on social media, a small sample size though it is. I've watched Liz Smith, Pete Buttigieg's uh, uh, campaign manager and somebody who is about as true blue as you can get try to take the high road. I've seen uh, uh, regular kind-hearted people dance on the, 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 the pre-drawn grave for Donald Trump because they've disapproved of how much he's handled it. And then let's get into the idea that Donald Trump is not somebody who shies away from a big media story. This is possibly the biggest story in presidential history over the last 30 years. You know, people have searched for the idea of uh, what's the last time that the president's health has been in peril like this. You know, my guess would be George W. Bush when he swallowed a, a pretzel wrong and then hit his head on a, on a table. That'd be my first guess. Of course, you have presidents being shot like Reagan. And then, of course, you have presidents being shot and dying like Kennedy. How will Trump narrate his own illness. As of right now, a very rare event has happened. 11 hours have transpired since the President of the United States' most recent tweet. This the famous one. Tonight, Flotus and I tested positive for COVID-19. We will begin our quarantine and recovery process immediately. We will get through this together. It stands to reason that this will be something that the world has great attention in. And Donald Trump will be able to control the flow of information. How much does he share? How much does he hold back? How much does he want to remain the strong man, the invincible one? How much does he want to show that he's fallible? I wish I had answers for you because normally I'm able to game some of this stuff out. But as I say with Brian uh, later in, the, in, in this show, I honestly, honestly do not know how. I, I don't know what path to walk down. Every single path that you can possibly step forward on has endpoints that are so unfathomable that it feels irresponsible even to speculate on them. We'll know more later today. We'll know more by Sunday. We'll know more by next Friday. But, wow. Here we go. They asked me, did I go deep in my bag? And I tell them, I sure did. 
Now, normally what happens is you guys send in your emails to theyoungamerican at gmail.com, and you have, but a lot of the stuff that was in there doesn't seem as important now. So I posted my initial thoughts on our Patreon at takepoliticsseriously.com. And uh, I, I got a ton of uh, comments there. And so we will go through these questions that came in literally over the last 12 hours. Dustin writes, what type of voters does this news matter to? Who will change their vote or decide not to vote or decide to vote? Um, I don't know if this makes people who think Trump did a bad job with COVID think he did a worse job. I think 200,000 dead is probably enough to make them think that this is done. Does this make Trump more sympathetic? Does this soften Trump any? That's a question going forward. Does this make the Democrats over pursue and look callous? That's a question going forward. And considering the fact that we don't know how many Senate Republicans have this and the possibility that the Amy Coney Barrett announcement might have been a spreading event means that that ACB nomination might be something that is pushed after the election. At which point... We are now back to the idea that the open Supreme Court seat is a motivator. What does this mean for future debates? Well, as we're going to go over with Brian Brushwood. Oh, but that is Michael who wrote that. As we're going to go over with Brian Brushwood a little bit later, the timing on the earliest Trump could be done with this would coincide with with when the debate would roughly be. Will the Biden campaign be comfortable with that? Will they push for either a cancellation or for a remote debate? That is up in the air. As of right now, we have no idea. Dan writes, If Trump lucks out and comes through with just minor symptoms despite his age and weight, does this give him a boost when he inevitably says, I had it, just like I said, it's like the cold, Hardly even noticed it. It's no big deal if you're strong and in good shape like me. All these Democrats have been blowing it out of proportion this whole time, and I'm living proof. I I, I don't think that that's the case. I I think that this is something that will be taken appropriately seriously, and he might come out saying, hey, this is no joke, but I beat it. You can beat it too if you get it. You shouldn't be worried. I wasn't scared. That might be the case, but but I don't think he's going to say this is just the cold. I've had worse flus. Although maybe, maybe he will. Nathan's hot dog scoop writes, fingers crossed that Donald Trump, Melania Trump, and Hope Hicks getting this was a thruple situation. Now that, my friend, is some very, 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 very specific fan fiction. Jim writes, can this legally derail or delay the election on November 3rd? Technically, I think yes. Realistically, I will almost assuredly say no. Richard writes, will Trump do virtual events while he feels up to it? Here is an announcement from uh, Bill Stepien. Yeah, Bill Stepien, who runs the Trump campaign. All previously announced campaign events involving the president's participation are in the process of being moved to virtual events or are being temporarily postponed. In addition, previously announced events involving members of the first family are also being temporarily postponed. All other campaign events will be considered on a case-by-case basis, and we will make any relevant announcements in the days ahead. Vice President Mike Pence, who has tested negative for COVID-19, plans on resuming his scheduled campaign events any further information about the president will come from the White House. Jason writes, In retrospect, Trump's mocking of Biden's mask wearing was a bad call. Any chance one of these people of the debates had it and gave it to Biden seems like national security risk for these two to be next to each other now. Well, if Trump survives, 
um, which is a f- wild, wild sentence I just said, then Drum would be the safest person to be next to Biden. <laughs> if Drum has it and recovers, then uh, uh, that would actually technically be be safer than than it would be before because Trump would be unable to spread it if he has the antibodies. Was Trump mocking Biden's big mask a bad call? It's certainly been thrown back in his face a lot today. I didn't read it as Biden should feel bad for wearing a mask. Again, what I was going to talk about today was kind of where we are in, in the dual reality elements of life. But... I read that as Trump mocking Biden for the performative elements that would go above and beyond what the science calls for. Um, Trump didn't get this from a rally. Trump got this from somebody that was in his inner circle that had it and didn't know it. So I don't think that, I mean, if this is Hope Hicks who gave it to him on the flight back, then... The idea that Biden is around people, right? We see him around people. So it's not like Biden isn't doing that. I don't know. I mean, obviously this was thrown back in his face, so likely. But it depends on who you're talking to. Edward writes, why was my first thought that he's going to use this as an excuse to cancel the rest of the debates? Because you're not listening to me, Edward. 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 You didn't listen. I mean... Donald Trump will never give up the chance to talk into a microphone and a camera that is connected to all the major networks and all the cable networks at the same time. Ever, ever, ever. I don't care if he if he uh, 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 embarrassed himself. He will come back and believe that the only way to get uh, uh, get back on the horse is to do better. He has two more cracks at it. If he has to do this from his deathbed, he is going to get on that mic. No, he was never going to cancel the debates. Ever, ever, ever. More tinfoil hat time from Jacob. Suppose he isn't lying about contracting COVID to get out of the debates, but he is lying. Could this be so he could recover from it quickly with no real issues? No. Taking the L on getting COVID is not a good strategy. Ever. Ever. Dave writes, morbid I know, but if he dies, what does this mean for the election? (laughs) I mean, we said at the beginning of his administration that he was speed running Nixon in, in trying to figure out how fast he could get the Democrats riled up to impeach him. If he dies, this would be speed running the 1964 election. Kennedy dies and his replacement carries the mantle. Except instead of a year, we're going to have less than a month. You can learn a lot more about that election in my brand new season of Raise the Dead, available. Uh, First episode is out this Sunday, the 4th of October. I'll probably do another mega mailbag, maybe a standalone episode uh, later in uh, early next week for for more of these emails and some of the emails that come in came in about uh, uh, the debate but uh you can send them to the young american at gmail.com we've got a big announcement with andrew heaton coming up a little bit later in the show but that i hope will show you the commitment that i am making to having no morsel of this election unanalyzed on the px3 patreon take politics seriously.com we're rolling out the red carpet this is white glove service it's a it is a season unlike any other as we have already seen and there is no element of this that we will not be making sure you have dissected to your liking more announcements forthcoming more content More, more, more. And it can all be yours for only $12 between now and election day. That's all it costs. $12. $12. That's, you know, you can't get a burrito for that. In San Francisco, at least. Get the custom RSS feed. 
get four episodes at least a week, possibly more, all there at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $12 is all it costs you between now and Election Day to get all the bonus content. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Also, one more reminder that my brand new season of Raise the Dead debuts this Sunday. Go to wherever podcasts are found or RaiseTheDeadPodcast.com to get on uh, get on the train. Listen to the first uh, the first season about the 1960 election. Our second season is all about the 1964 election and uh, all the lessons that we can learn from it. Go check it out right now. RaiseTheDeadPodcast.com. First episode of the second season debuts Sunday, October 4th. Our first guest today is one of my best friends, my co-host on the Night Attack podcast, and the host in his own right on the Modern Rogue YouTube channel and so many other amazing podcasts. Brian Brushwood, welcome to the show. Uh, hey, man, it's uh, it's good to be here, and it's good to be in a condition that I can actually talk on the show. Well, and it's so crazy because when the news broke last night that the president of the United States has COVID, uh, I knew exactly what the CDC recommendations on COVID were because I've been <laughs> following them so closely because one of my best friends got COVID like 10 yeah, days dude. ago. Uh, I, man, nothing, nothing will inspire a crash course in all of the top quality recommendations like, uh, like catching the thing. Uh, so, so let's just start here because I mostly want to have you on just so you can describe to this audience that is now, uh, obviously newly renewed on the personal journey that is COVID, uh, uh, how did you get it and what was your experience? Uh, we were pretty good about staying in our bubble and keep in mind, like there were only three places I existed at home at HQ or in the car. And that was it. And for, for months and months and months. And then we broke that bubble just once, just one time to go pick up a puppy from a town two and a half hours north of us. And, uh, during that time, it, it only took one gas station stop, uh, where, you know, half the people weren't wearing masks and they weren't following social distancing rules. And that's all it took. And lucky enough, uh, both me and, and Bonnie, my wife, got uh, a very, very mild case. Um, uh, mine was much more intense for like three or four days, but um, but but it was over. It was short. Um, and uh, when during that time, you know, I, I read a lot about, um, you know, the various comorbidities that you look for and about how age plays a factor and whether or not the disease itself is going to get you or whether or not it'll exacerbate one of the existing problems that you have. Um, it was astonishing to me how little exposure it took. And to be honest, I'm shocked, genuinely shocked, given the way the president behaves uh, in public that that he hadn't gotten it sooner. Yeah. Well, I mean, but then again, it's like, I, I guess he's mostly, I mean, on, on stage outside, like, it it really took an inside woman. It was it was uh, one of his closest aides that got it, and then sat next to him and talked to him on Air Force One on the way back from the debate. That's yeah, I I, well, I thought it was Marine One, but but yeah, Marine it, One. Uh, Sorry, yeah, uh, yeah. Certainly being in that kind of enclosed space. Um, apparently, I was able to give it to a coworker just by sitting next to him. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, two, uh, not even really next to next to, but like, uh, uh, f uh, two feet away from him for about, uh, for about an hour and a half while we were shooting stuff. And, uh, in that time, um, he, uh, came back positive. Um, although he got mixed results, he also got a negative from a, from a different, um, uh, uh, from a different test, but I guess a false negative is much more likely than a false positive. Um, but uh, I guess to, to me, the big question is, how is it going to manifest itself? Because uh, I did not know this going into the disease, but I, I believe the CDC's latest numbers are that 30% of everyone who gets this uh, uh, is totally asymptomatic, which uh, is a much larger number than I had previously thought. Which is insane. And that's why, you know, when we look at where we are culturally with COVID, on one hand, it is deadly full stop, which means yep. we need to take it 
deadly serious. On the other hand, there, you know, we have examples in like sports where somebody will come down with COVID and then they're back on the field at like the highest level of athletic competition. And it feels like something sub a twisted ankle. And how do we take that? And then there's 30% of people that get it that have no, uh, uh, no symptoms full stop. Like I, I can, when, when, when you really look at it like that, you're like, well, I can kind of understand why culturally we have mixed messages about this. Well, and then there's other, other equally scary stuff. Um, I forget the name of the disease, but, uh, but there's heart irregularities. There's a German study that found heart irregularities in, um, and it did not distinguish between those who were hospitalized versus those who, uh, uh, recovered at home. Uh, I believe it was either 60 or 70% of all COVID people they were able to find on MRIs, heart irregularities afterwards. And, um, I know that in, in pro level sports, the, that kind of thing, uh, where they're where they're performing at that peak level, uh, can can lead to really scary stuff long after the the, the COVID virus has passed. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, you know, maybe maybe that will be a thing that we that we find out that oh, well, I played so shortly after COVID, and and you had a long term effect. But uh, let, let let's get into your symptoms because I I do feel like people want a window into at least one person's story of this you find out that you have covid uh how many days after you exposure you, yeah, yeah, yeah so uh, uh, we, we got exposed the one time that we broke our bubble was on friday um uh, uh late late september and by tuesday night i was experiencing enough nausea that i didn't eat dinner and and we were doing night attack and i couldn't even really finish um, my, my hard seltzer. I, I only got halfway through one, which, uh, uh, uh is unusual. Unusual then, uh, for our, for our body hygiene. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then uh, I went to bed just past midnight, woke up around uh three 45, really, really hungry, went down and got some soup, got about halfway through it and then just started vomiting. And I All vomited. Right, hold from... on. Wait a minute before go into the full ingredients on the soup. Okay, all right. It was it was it was a room temperature <laughs> beef stew with a bag of Cheetos poured in there. <laughs> I do love I love that that was your last meal. What in what when what your mind was the was a, a healthy human body was just warm room temperature beef stew with Cheetos mixed in. Um, so so strangely, I could only get halfway through it before I started vomiting. <laughs> So, so at that point, I vomited uh, uh, pretty pretty much everything for like four hours, and then around eight o'clock, it just stopped. And then by noon, I actually felt a hundred percent fine. I was like, "Man, oh, well, weird, must be mild food poisoning or a stomach bug or something," because I really did feel like I was ready to go to work. But there was just that tickle in the back of my mind that thought, you know, in good conscience, you really ought to get tested. And uh, were the, you were the, you the even were tests, you even thinking about? The, the 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 trip north at that point no like no 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 i i was thinking only of uh as a matter of fact uh even after we got the diagnosis it took us a while to kind of suss out the window of of when we got exposed um but but i i genuinely felt like look i'm gonna i'm gonna pay for this rapid test uh because the window happens to line up right and then that way nobody can accuse me of you know not being responsible and so as a result it was a total shocker when they said positive on, on the, the COVID thing. And, um, so I was in the weird position, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that Wednesday afternoon of feeling totally fine, which, is, you know, I assume the president went through as well, uh, feeling totally fine, but having this positive diagnosis and not really knowing what that meant and knowing that there was possible that I would be totally asymptomatic. Um, but man, come 9 30 PM, I remember the exact time I had just hung up with our friend Andrew Maine. And I was like, okay, to bed I go. And at 9.30 p.m. that night, uh, the fever, it, it, came out, it came out hard and fast. And, uh, and the, uh, the, the symptoms were very unusual. Like I've had the chills before, but I've never had the chills where my legs are full on kicking, like as if I'm swimming the backstroke, uh, yeah. this, this kind of like this full lower body, body catalepsy. And um, I, I was, uh, you know, fevered uh, in chills throughout the entire night. Uh, it was very, very intense. Uh, I was unable to sleep. Um, and then, uh, the, the following day, finally, 
got some uh, decent medicine into me and was able to sleep a little bit. But 48 hours into it, uh, I would say for, I would say the first 48 to 72 hours were the most intense of when the symptoms hit. Uh, meanwhile, my wife, Bonnie, never even really had a fever. She had some chills events. But whereas mine was a very intense, like four to five days. And then after that, my, you know, uh, I think at the evening on day four or the morning on, of day five, my fever broke and it never came back. And I've, I've just steadily gotten better. Um, Bonnie never really had a fever, but she j did have the chill event and her legs were doing the spasming and um, uh, she had the nausea. Uh, she never quite threw up, but uh, but she has taken a lot longer to get past her symptoms. And she only now is uh, we're on we're on day 10. Uh, or day 14, no, sorry, day 15 since exposure, but day 10 since symptoms. And um, only today, only in the last 36, 48 hours has she been totally symptom-free. So, um, uh, and, th and this is, I, I think it's fair to say, a fairly mild case compared to, you know, all of the horror stories that we've seen. And you have, throughout all of this, uh you know, been very dialed in to exactly what the CDC recommendations are. So now for, for everybody listening, what are those CDC recommendations for how to deal with COVID? Uh, well, there's, uh, I, I mean, they, uh, unfortunately they give you very, very little to go on, uh, when it comes to, I've got a diagnosis, what's it going to be? And their answer there is, we don't know. We know that 30% of people are totally asymptomatic. We know that these are the um, things that are associated with a mild case, which which I was ticking off boxes because stuff like diarrhea is usually only associated with the more mild cases. Uh, about a third of the mild cases get it, um, and then and then of course there's there's extreme cases. Um, it's it's fairly rare if you have no, none of the comorbid conditions because all I knew going into it was that I was over 40, and that meant it was you know more dangerous than if I was just over 30. Um, but the more I looked into it, uh, the doctor was really concerned about kind of four things. He was like, do you have high blood pressure? Are you obese? Do you smoke? Have you ever smoked? Uh, you, you know, what, do you even vape or whatever? He was really dialed in on the lung conditions. Um, and I, I forget what the fourth one was, but, but uh, once, once we eliminated those, I could visibly see him over the telemedicine conference sort of relax and not, you know, not, not, not be interested. Yeah. Like, just just the, 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 the slow jerk off motion. And he's like, oh, sorry, <laughs> yeah. uh, I got to work on my bedside manner here. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so uh, I wish I had known that going in, that it's not so much the, because, you know, uh, I, I have family who are overweight and who do have uh, high blood pressure and do smoke. And it's like, uh, you know, that's, that's three out of the four, uh, uh, com comorbidities. And, and even though we're roughly the same age, um, uh, I think we would have very different journeys on this disease. And, uh, back, back to the president, you know, we, we know at the very least he's, uh, obese. And so that's at least one of the, uh, of the big comor comor comorbidities. And of course, um, uh, from an actuarial standpoint, there was a Reddit post I saw, uh, a few months ago that sort of ranked everything from a statistical standpoint. And statistically speaking, you are more likely to survive climbing to the top of Mount Everest than you are to survive COVID after the age of 70. And, and that's, that's, that's what I keep trying to tell my parents when, you know, they, they want to be a little loosey goosey with masks and social distancing, like uh, uh, age and the comorbidities are, are real factors in this, uh, which, which is, you know, news, it's, I mean, I guess it's good news on both sides. It's good news to know if you are at risk so that you know to, you know, keep your distance and wear masks. But it's also good news if you get it and, and you don't have those comorbidities, you don't have to uh, uh, freak out quite as much as I was freaking out. So how long does the CDC recommend that you stay away from the rest of society after you have your first symptom? So if you are, uh, there's sort of three categories. There's, uh, I, ha I tested positive and I have no symptoms. If that's the case, then they recommend 10 days uh, after you get your diagnosis. So, or after you get your positive uh, test results. So that's total isolation on that. Uh, category two is, I, I got it, 
I have uh, positive results and I have symptoms. I recovered at home or I didn't have to go to the hospital. Uh, and uh, in that case, they have they have three conditions before you could be released into gen pop before you can uh, act like you don't you're not transmissible. And that's number one is 10 days from the first day that you started showing symptoms and you have to be over it uh, as defined by they used to say 72 hours without a fever. Now they've revised it uh, as of, a, I think, a month ago. They revised it to only 24 hours without fever. And then uh, so so that the, the lack of fever implies that your body's got this. They're no longer yeah. trying to cook, cook them out. You know, they've manufactured the antibodies and you're going to work at fixing everything. And the third one is uh, uh, interesting because it's not that you need to be symptom free. It's that your symptoms need to be improving. So you can still be fatigued. Uh, but as long as your fatigue is getting less and less each day, then you're fine. Or likewise, um, they, they do note that the loss of uh, taste and smell or either or um, it may last for months or, you know, because it's not been long enough for us to know for sure, in some cases might be permanent. But um, they uh, uh, so once you have all those three, you're free to go back into the world, which um is astonishing because uh, also on the CDC website, they say, if you get this, expect to be knocked out for two to three weeks. Um, and, and in my case, it was a, a very short journey, uh, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, and but but even then, I mean, it, 10 days of, of being kind of useless or even a week of being useless for the president in this environment is going to be a, a real problem. Oh, I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, it opens up just crazy crazy i i mean i i to even choose a path to walk down leads you to destinations so wild that i i i have a hard time even choosing right like i yeah. have a hard time choosing like okay well do we explore whether or not we're going to invoke the 25th amendment like do we walk down the idea that the president dies do we walk down the idea that the president is better within 10 days like uh, who knows who knows well, all of it's in play mean, some, some of the crazy outside stuff is i'm seeing headlines that are saying stuff like it's not too late for the gop to pick a different candidate like uh i mean if he gets sick enough i mean if it because and, and this, no, is, it this would, is it more... would it would be pence i mean like he would have to he, it would be a 25th Amendment situation. Like, he would have to be so sick and in the hospital that he was incapacitated enough that the that Pence would be sworn in as president, and this would effectively be... I mean, it'd probably be Trump-Pence on the ballot, but it would effectively be Pence-Trump in terms of the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but man, even, I, I, even then, oh, just, wow. just crazy. Let me Let me go back to one more thing about your experience, though. Sure. Now that you're by CDC recommendations, you are allowed to leave. You can go watch uh, Bill and Ted in a movie theater. You can go eat at Torchy's if you want. Uh, looking back, especially that one night where you had the most, uh, you know, symptom situation. Right. How much of this was in that night, that 12 hour period? Was that the panic of knowing that this is such an unpredictable and deadly disease and how much was the disease? Have you have you tried to even put a pie chart together oh, no, in your I, head? I, I have thought quite a bit about it. And I will say unequivocally that the uh, the fear was much worse than the disease. Uh, the anxiety that kept me from even having a chance at getting sleep and getting caught in the feedback loop of, knowing that rest was the best thing for the disease and that I wasn't sleeping and I have to sleep. I have to sleep because if I'm not going to sleep, then I'm in, this thing's going to kill me. Oh my God, I'm killing myself by not falling asleep. I have to fall asleep. Of course, that's not conducive to falling asleep, which is why I was still awake when the sun came up. Um, the, the stuff I wish I, and, and of course, because it's a quarantine situation, I can't wake up my wife to, you know, chat in the middle of the night, you know, it's not going to do her any good and not going to do me any good. So that sense of isolation, that sense of the not knowingness, that fear of the unknown and the and what was possible was so debilitating and so um, paralyzing. Uh, I would say, without a doubt, like 
I would almost, what's funny is I'm reading up on some of the early reports on people who have volunteered to take the vaccine. Yeah. And apparently the vaccine, pretty much part of the, the regiment is the first shot is fine, but then the second you take the booster and it, what they describe is pretty much what my experience was that first night. They're like, it sucks. It sucks really bad. You're going to have to be tough. You're going to have to pretty much experience what will feel like full blown uh, coronavirus uh, symptoms for one day. And while it's unpleasant, it is not dangerous is what uh, uh, the FDA is saying. Um, and so like uh, if, if I had, if I was experiencing those exact same symptoms, but under the context of I got a vaccine, they let me know that this is going to be unpleasant, but not dangerous. I think I would have just taken, taken some NyQuil and been able to sleep. Uh, it was the anxiety and the fear of the unknown because we've never had a ghost story like this. We've never spent six months building up an invisible, all powerful, can't do anything, never know where it's coming, boogeyman. And then to get that phone call uh, of the end of the ghost story where they say the you know the calls are coming from inside your body. Yeah. Uh, that was very, very difficult. And I wouldn't and and what's funny is uh, I said out loud I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, and that bore out because the moment I saw that that, that Trump was uh, uh, having symptoms this morning, I was like, I, I, I felt bad. I felt really bad for him. Uh, I, I, I sincerely I mean, it's it's no cakewalk. And we we drew a pretty good card from the covid pile. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the one thing that I knew about how careful you and your wife were and the fact that you guys got it on on such a freak scenario uh, immediately made me qualify a, again to to everybody. And I would say this no matter what uh, I've been saying this before the, the, the Trump thing, but but it is it is more so now. Please sympathy for those that get this. This is a pernicious evil virus that spreads so easily and is so unpredictable that I don't think that it really benefits anybody to count the winners and losers. We can have our opinions about how people should prevent it, and that's fine. But when people have it, I, I don't think, especially considering what, what you're talking about in terms of just the psychological warfare that goes on, I, I don't think public shame or judgment in general, right, politically, the, the stuff aside, I don't think it helps anybody. Well, and also remember that anything you post on social media, you're getting a tattoo. And if you're getting a tattoo across your chest that says schadenfreude, that that may look good today, but it won't be a good look uh, five years from now when somebody sees it. Especially because no one speaks German here. We're in America. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, Brian, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I think specifically on a day like today, it's going to be very illuminating for, for people that, that listen to it. Uh, uh, everybody follow Brian at Schwood on Twitter, modern rogue on YouTube. And of course me and Brian together on night attack each and every Tuesday. Uh, have a great day, man. Yeah, will do, man. But we're not done. We still have more analysis in the chamber. So joining us to round out the program is somebody that you'll be hearing a little bit more from on this particular feed. My friend, the host of the political orphanage. Whenever the world is crazy and whenever I need a helping, steadying hand, I turn to one man, and that, of course, is Andrew Heaton of the Political Orphanage. Uh, a, a, a world in chaos, Andrew, what the hell is happening? Uh, we, um, well, we've had multiple stories this week that have happened. By the way, thank you for saying that, 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 I'm, that I'm your saint friend. I appreciate that. Somebody uh, described me the other day as professionally calm. <laughs> and I was like that in any time period, but this, that would be an incredible insult to call somebody. Yes, yes. But under, under the current situation, I'm like, no, I see. I, I get why being like, man, that guy's the eye of the storm is actually kind of useful during this time period. Yeah. So this week, uh, the main things were we, we had uh, a debate slash train wreck uh, yeah. that uh, probably uh, increased the, the blood alcohol content of the American electorate by 50%. And then uh, speaking of uh, blood work, the president, came down with the COVID. 
With and the so vid. POTUS is testing positive for COVID right now. And so everybody is uh, thinking about what that means and uh, figuring out their bright line on what is comedically appropriate on Twitter. Oh, man. Uh, uh, hey, you, you want to know what I was going to do today? I'll tell you what I was. Here's here's the segment that I was going to do today with, with the gardening. debate. Was it gardening? <laughs> it was not. It was not gardening. No, I was going to do a thing. And you actually would really be a, a, a good person to ask on this about how the debate, the, the, the biggest effect of the post-Trump media that I, that I saw in, in the debate was both Trump and Biden never qualified news stories because they just assumed that Trump knew that everybody who was watching that he wanted to talk to watches Fox News and Joe Biden knew that everybody <laughs> that he was talking to watches MSNBC. So it's like in years past, you know, the the example would be like, well, according to the Saturday Evening Post, your aide said that uh, poor people are the worst people and rich people are the best people. Uh, uh, what do you say to that report, opponent? Here, it's like Joe Biden said, uh, you know, you call military people losers and suckers. Not according to The Atlantic, you were, were oh, quoted right, yeah. as saying... That they're mili that, that that they're losers and suckers. There was just like no showing of work, and and that to me is just indicative of the fact that we are on, we're we're just in dual realities where we're on, if depending on on the media sources that you you watch, you're just getting different facts, and now the candidates don't even care to play to the other side or even just lay out breadcrumbs for people to look and and look into it themselves. Yeah, I uh, I'm with you in that, uh, you know, Scott Adams has a, a really good analogy to describe what we've been going through the last four years, which is that we're all watching different movies. The data points are the yeah. same, but the soundtracks are different. Like one, the Republicans are watching. They're basically watching like Ferris Bueller's Day Off goes to the White House. That's what yeah. they've been saying for four years. Yeah. Whereas me meanwhile, uh, the Democrats are watching The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, yeah. And so like they're, they're watching the prequel to The Handmaid's Tale. So there's there's a very different uh, playlist that's happening. My, OK, th this is my thing on the debates. We need to quit doing the debates. I don't think they serve any useful purpose. I realize that you and I enjoy watching them oh, and, and that, that they, they're great fodder for historians. But I'm just thinking in terms of actually improving the electorate or giving actionable information to the average voter, I don't see their point. Who who at this point? In, in October of 2020 does not have a firm opinion about Biden and Trump. We I, had Biden for eight years. We've had Trump for four years. What do you need to know at this no, point? No, I'm, I'm, I'm against that argument, but I'm for your larger point. I do think that we want some kind of showcase wherein they are not able to control everything. That parties are so rigid in their information control, or at least... They used to be Trump, obviously, is a, an agent of chaos. He loves right. things kind of going haywire. But uh, the, the the Democrats have never been more in control of their message to the point where now they have a complicit press that applauds them for not even engaging with them, which is mind blowing to me. But yeah. I like the fact that they have to have an element of. No, talk about this in a way that you don't control. Talk about this in a way where you're not going to have your 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 press agent run in and and pull the pull the mic cord if it doesn't go the way that that you want. Uh, your larger point I do agree with though. There's no reason why we still need to be pretending that this is this weird version of a college debate. Like that was shown the lie was brought to that literally minutes into the first debate in 1960 when Richard Nixon was trying to treat it like a college debate and Kennedy realized it was free television time and Kennedy waxed him. Like, yeah. as soon as we, I mean, we've known this forever. This is the 60th anniversary of the 1960 campaign. Uh, so I do think we need to rethink it. But I do like the idea that they're forced to talk to each other. What I think we need is a longer form version of this where it's not just take your shot, now you take your shot. Like, let them talk, because yeah. I, I think that would be the better version. I, I would have, I mean, for their, I would have loved for Joe Rogan to have just had a long-form conversation with either of them. It could have been them on simultaneously. It could have been them alternating. That would have been great. I, I think we, we live in the internet age. I would love for some somebody smarter than me to come up with an internet version of a debate, as opposed yes. to what we've been doing, which is a TV era version of the debate. I like. I I see your point, Justin, on why it's good to be able to uh, catch them off guard. Like this is. Uh, 
um, a different proper for the audience to heckle the comedian. The comedian tries to get it done, and if there's still a, a nuisance, calls calls the bouncer to come deal with them. In Britain, that's considered part of the the form. If you're doing stand-up comedy in the UK, the audience is anticipating you having to react to hecklers, and it's yeah. not considered implied; it's considered part of it. There's there's some value to actually seeing how a candidate reacts when they when they don't know what's going to happen. But I like overall though this like. I, 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 read, I read a book that made a big influence on me when I was in college called Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. And the premise to it, it came out in 1985. Postman is pushing back against the the new vogue sneering opinion that television makes us stupid. You know, yeah. that, that just yeah. standard boilerplate stuff. We watch too much TV and Nintendo. Everybody's dumb now. And he's like, no, TV's fine. Sitcoms are fine. Sitcoms don't make you stupid. People understand that Mork and Mendy's not real. Yeah. Uh, what would be problematic, though, is I'm just going to throw this out here in 1985. If we ever got to a point where we combine serious stuff like public policy and elections with entertainment, that's when we're screwed, because then we're going to train a Pavlovian response in the American electorate that things are only worth paying attention to and only worth contemplating if they're amusing. And that will be a dark spot. And I think the debates we saw on Tuesday were the the final push of that, of we've abandoned any pretense of being serious or thoughtful and just gone for reality television. And I I, I, I think it's destructive. I uh yeah, I I do agree. I, I, and I want I, everybody to just read Atlantic articles. <laughs> like I just like I, I I want everybody to be more Vulcan. I want everybody to sit down and like have, have like a table. I, I of, would I would policy I would, provisions and vote based on that. Let's let's pick another Tweety outlet, mostly because I've been <laughs> I've been very annoyed with the Atlantic uh, over the last couple of weeks in, in terms of like the, the, the two articles they wrote that moved the needle was one in which the lead was four anonymous sources in what is essentially gossip uh -oh. reporting. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah. other it's like, look, four anonymous sources. I don't care how many anonymous sources the New York Times needed to get the tax returns. Fine. An army of anonymous sources if you have the thing that can be <laughs> right, verified, yeah. right? But like four anonymous sources on like he said he was a duty head. Like and and granted, this is more yeah. serious. The charge is more serious than that, but essentially that's I mean, what that reporting is. You can't is. corroborate him. No, I agree. If yeah. like whenever anybody does that and they're like a high-ranking White House official said X and like and like I've seen like the Fox wheels out this guy, uh, what's his name? Um, there, there's a, a disgraced former New York Times editor that that now writes like he he, he made a, a cottage industry out of making uh, Obama tell all books uh, during oh, the Obama administration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and it was just it was clearly just either he was absolutely making it up or he'd found a very colorful drunk to make and like but none of it was corrupt. But, but it, like Fox loved it because it'd be like, you know, Clinton and Obama nearly got into a fist fight on a uh, on a, a golf course. And it was just it was it was fan fiction. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much with you with that. And I'll, I'll add to that that I get irritated where uh, I, I now realize that no one's ever going to give me credit when I say something to the effect of, listen, I don't like Trump, but this particular accusation doesn't have legs. Nobody ever gives me credit for that. And like I've got some friends that are part of the uh, kind of the histrionically progressive media. And like if I if I point that out, they're like, look, whether it's true or not, you just need to like you need to be a part of the fight. And it I'm like, feels, what? It so feels it, so it, it's, true. It's, it's my it's my job to just like like continue the narrative regardless of whether it's true or not. And they're like, no, it's everybody's job to to stop Trump. And, I'm, and like so I think what they want me to do is if 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 something's completely incoherent, go, uh, you know, a better point is he's stealing the election and just demure to some other thing. And I drive yeah. me crazy. Man, we made it 10 minutes in and we haven't really talked about the COVID thing. This is this is amazing. Oh, right. yeah, we, we, we might be the yeah. only media that, that uh, uh, has <laughs> has led with the the, the debates here. Um, what is grosser? The president's going to die or, uh, how can we push Pence down a stairwell? So Pelosi's president, cause I've seen both this morning. What is, what is grosser? The just naked, I would prefer for the president to die of COVID or the now let's game out the 25th amendment. Uh, I'm going to say the latter's grosser. I, I never, uh, we, we talked about this on my program. Uh, I, I find it ghoulish to root for the death of anybody. I don't like that. I don't want to be the kind of person that's excited when somebody dies to the point where like, even like, you know, like, like I'm glad we took out bin Laden, but I didn't, I didn't like that. I was glad about it. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I don't like deriving joy from the suffering of anybody. And president Trump, who I'm a rather stern critic of falls into that camp. I, I do not wish him physical ill. 
I, I hope that he and Melania are able to recover. And I, I, I'm not in that camp. That said, I think uh, it, it, while I disagree with this impulse that people have of ding dong, the witch is dead, that gets trolled every time somebody dies, when Thatcher died, when Scalia died, I don't like that impulse, but it's at least a step back from let's actively kill someone yeah. in order to, because I, I got to say like, joking about assassination to me is more destructive than joking about enjoying somebody's demise. Well, now, now that I've, now that I've sufficiently, uh, uh, scolded those that might, uh, uh, indulge in the more morbid elements of this, there is a lot of real politic here that we do need to, that we do need to, to crack open up to and including the idea of, it's realistic to think of the idea that Pence might be imbued the powers of the president if, for whatever reason, Donald Trump has to go on a ventilator. Boris Johnson went on a ventilator. And let me point this out. You can't report on Boris Johnson in England the way that the American press can report on Donald Trump. The The British don't have freedom of the press in the same right. way with public figures in the same way that America does. If yeah. Boris Johnson situation, like they, they got away with saying Boris Johnson is in the hospital, but it's not a ventilator. It's just kind of an oxygen tank. Like they got away with that there. If Trump is in a similar situation here, we're going to know the dosage of every medication. We're going to mm -hmm. know exactly how stuff goes. Now he might never go to Walter Reed. He might have an ICU set up in the in, in, in the White House residency, but we're going to know what, what what's going on. And Pence may or may not take over as president of the United States, either for now or going into an election. This is uh, I mean, I don't even have a question here, Heaton. Wait, like, and, what and the that hell's is happening? that is definitely not how. OK, here's my theory on Pence, by the way. I'm not, I'm not going to go into the full story, but I have I have hung out with him before. Uh, back when what? he was governor of Indiana. I yeah, I, oh so, no, no, uh, I think I did know this. Yeah, no, because yeah, you because you like, do the you do the country club circuit here. And I again. do the country club circuit, and and Republicans like me because I'm a free market guy. They liked me pre-Trump anyway because I'd make I'd make market jokes and I'd make like ha ha occupational licensing, and they're like, you're great. Take a take a bag of money and come tell jokes at our political action committee. So I I, I smoked cigars with Ted Cruz that night, and prior to that. Uh, a Pence grabbed me uh, just like I was walking by and he's like, hey, I enjoyed your set, all that kind of thing. I liked him. And for the record, when he was governor, I liked him a lot more because I think when he was governor, he was basically running as like a I'm very Christian, but mostly I'm a state's rights laboratory of democracy, federalist, free trade Republican, which fine. I'm I'm fine with that. Um, I think he he decided to be Trump's vice president was like, there's no way this guy's not going to get impeached by maybe pro I will totally be president. And then, you know, come like three years later, he's like, oh, God, I guess I'm vice president. All right. And, uh, you know, no, I, I doubt he's rooting for it. But yeah, it could. You know, well, I, I don't know. I don't I don't think he's rooting for it. I do think that. It's a possibility. And I I never in my life would have thought that we'd be seeing this amount of chaos this close to an election when people say October surprises, October surprises are like George Bush had a DUI when he was, right. you know, 27 or something like that. Uh, uh, you know, I guess Comey's reopening the email investigation was effectively what we would consider that in 2016, the mortality of the president hanging in the balance or even it being in question questioned enough to put somebody else in the role with a month to go until, uh, oh, you know, people that haven't voted early go to the polls. Oh, good God! Like, like that—that that is is a whole different ball game. Well, so I, political question for you. I've been wondering about this. Is the October surprise a thing anymore in the age of the internet and tweeting and instantaneous communication? I, I feel like that was something of a more. We've got major media outlets that all cover something and can kind of dictate the news cycle. Like, is is that going to be a thing? Is Biden? I don't think they have anything on Trump that they haven't thrown at him in 2016. But is Trump going to drop some some bombshell on Biden here at some point this month? No, I I, I agree with you that I think the idea, the the idea of the October surprise was, all right, we don't know whether or not this will resonate. Like, if you tell the public that George W. Bush had a DUI in July, do people give a rat's ass? No. Probably because they just got drunk at that picnic, and now they're going to drive home, and so they're oh, probably wait. more predisposed. 
Hold on, I got to pause you real quick because I thought this was so funny. So the debate happened Wednesday night, right? Yeah. At 11.05 p.m., the night of the debate, Bumble, a dating app yep. that I have used in the past, sent me and a million other Americans a uh, a brief email explaining that a class action lawsuit has been filed against them. And if we wanted to cash in on it, we needed to call this number. But it probably wasn't going to be even any money. We really didn't need to worry about it. And I was like, the fact that you're dropping this at 11.05 p.m., on the Wednesday of the first presidential debate, when you know everyone in America does not care and is drunk, I was like, "Good job, Bumble," and I am absolutely calling that number because if it's if it's based on the percentage of people doing it, I want my million dollars because I know what you're doing. And yeah, uh, uh, yeah let, let let me get on this stuff. Um, here here's a lurid thought. Again, not rooting for this, but the best case. Oh, this, this sounds so horrible. Feel free to cut this part out. The best case electoral scenario for Trump involving yeah. COVID is the following. Again, nobody dies. I want to make this clear. Nobody dies. But let's say Trump recovers and Melania goes into a coma for about three weeks. And she is the beautiful sleeping beauty character. And Trump is the uh, the bereft husband. And that becomes the like this very sympathetic figure becomes yeah. the mainstay of the media. I think that that would really benefit him. Again, I don't think anybody's rooting for I that mean, myself. Yeah, but, but there's, that would, but there's, but there's like, so like, many like, situations I, like that. And that's what makes I, this crazy is like Trump could get it and recover and then come yeah. back and say, hey, look, I am a victim of the of, 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 of the China plague that has uh, bedeviled our economy, that has uh, uh, wrecked the lives of so many Americans. If it can get to me, then there's literally no precautions that could have been taken that, that uh, you know, would, would, would do any good uh maybe this recalibrates where we think about covid i mean hell tom hanks getting it and and a utah jazz center getting it were were the things that kind of turned our opinion on it initially in march what is the president getting it with a with a month to go to the election beyond that uh, uh how do you attack donald trump now like, do, does Biden get aggressive and dance on, uh, you know, the, the, the schadenfreude? Twitter would certainly like that. Does this say to America that Donald Trump has handled this so poorly that, of course, he is revisited by this? I don't know. Uh, all right, here, look, we're, we're going to leave it here for right now. However, if you enjoyed this, I got great news for you because Andrew Heaton and I have entered in to a podcast alliance between uh -huh. now and and the end of the election, whenever that might be, each and every week, both on his podcast, The Political Orphanage, and here on PX3, we are going to be providing bonus content for you so you will hear more two-man content there, more two-man content here. And indeed, it starts right now because I'm on his podcast today, so uh -huh. you can go listen to that. Heaton, I'm so thrilled. Me too, buddy. And I, I want to make this very clear. The second the election's over, we go back to being enemies. Yes. This is a real <laughs> politic alliance. Warfare makes strange bedfellows. But until then, I am happy to be Prussia to your Austria or whatever analogy there is. Uh, and very much look forward to making beautiful bonus content with you for the remainder of our republic. All right. Uh, uh, Andrew Heaton, Political Orphanage, uh, thank you so much. Bye. And that's going to wrap it up for us today. Obviously, busy, busy, busy news time. And you can support us in carrying forth that mission at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. More on the heat and stuff, by the way. Not only are we doing bonus content, and we wanted to announce that today because I know that there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this episode today. But we got even more, more in, in, in store there. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, be excited. Let's go ahead and get into our Titanic $10 tier. Who, who, ah, I can't tell you yet. Can't tell you yet. We thank the Titanic $10 tier, and we read their names in praise. Lord Generic Frenchman, Dr. G. Jacob Wilson, Dallas Danger Taylor, your boy Craig, Zombie Doc, Gazer Beam, Utah, Jimmy Montana, Captain Bunzo, Cujo, Tally, Richard, Memory Pie App, Crookie McCrookface, Justin Ryan, Egan, D-Laser, Rob, Vote for Trump 2020, Martin Esco Moen, Government Unfiltered, Neil Archie Darren, Daily Tech News Show, Jay Milius, Olin and Angela, DL, Stephen, Kyle, Chad, Miranda, Jenny, Robert, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Glenn Wolf Brand, Chili Scoop, Dustin, Just Another Pilot, Middle Aged Mike, The Gen, MacBook Pro, Leon, Frozen Summer, Jay Pink, Andrew, 
and James join their ranks at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, only $12 gets you at guarantee four episodes a week until Election Day. That's a good bargain. I feel like that's a good bargain. All right. Uh, TheYoungAmerican at gmail.com is where you can send in your emails. Get in touch with me on Twitter at Justin R. Young. Get on our free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. If you haven't listened to the first season of Raise the Dead, listen to the first season of Raise the Dead for free or get the bonus audio book of season one with an extra episode so you can be ready for season two that begins this Sunday. October 4th, wherever you find podcasts or RaiseTheDeadPodcast.com. Raise the Dead Season 2, Johnson versus Goldwater, all about 1964. Who knew that this element of that story, the idea of a president's health and peril, would be a part of our modern world? Hoy polloi. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more, man, they're out here talking about politics, but this, this is the only show that talks about Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>